This podcast contains explicit content and is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Don't say we didn't warn you. Hey everyone, my name is Madison. And I'm Hannah. And you are listening to Who's Knocking? Yet another true crime podcast. Hello. And that's that's our intro. <laughs> um, we have another fascinating case for you today. Um, this one, we're doing something a little new too. This one is technically unsolved. Okay. Um, so... I'm interested to see if people are interested in unsolved cases. I think unsolved cases, um, I used to hate listening to unsolved cases, but now I actually really like listening to unsolved cases. Um, but well, they yeah, can they be can... frustrating. Yeah. Um, I've actually been listening to or watching a lot of unsolved mysteries. I don't know if you know that old show. Oh, yeah, definitely. And like Netflix, I think, didn't recently redid. Some of it is actually is like kind of scary. Uh, I find unsolved cases a little bit more scary because it's yeah. like they're not solved. Um, so I'm kind of excited about this. And I think unsolved cases are kind of important to cover because you never know who's going to like listen to something and know something and maybe the case will be solved. That would be cool. That would be nice. I mean, uh, what was it? Golden State Killer? Is that what is that what the one who Golden State Killer? Yeah, I think so. That's who he was. Who was just recently um, identified? Yeah, he's terrifying. So you never know who is listening to our extremely popular, amazing podcast, and will know something in regards to the case of Robert Wone, which is what we're covering today. Right. I have not heard of this one. This one is pretty popular. I would be, I would assume that a lot of people who are listening maybe have heard this case before. Um, But there's a lot of information. And again, it's unsolved. So I think um, it's, it's good to just like push around wherever. And since you haven't heard of it, I think it'd be a good case for us to do, which is why I picked it. Yeah, I'm interested. Yeah. Um, okay, I'll rate this. I don't know how to okay. rate an unsolved case. It's um, I don't know. Maybe I'll put this at a four. All right. I don't think it's particularly scary, but it's disturbing in many ways. I have an emotional support animal with me, just in case. Yeah. You might need it. I doubt you will. I think you'll be fine. Oh, here's something to talk about in our intro. Um, remember that thing I sent you the other day? Yes. <laughs> that was so gross. Shout out to my cousin, Joseph, from the UK. Um, if you hear this, I saw your uh, Instagram story the other day about that fucking weird guy who cut off his own penis and then sold it to people for a meal. He cooked it, yeah. Or somebody cooked it. In Japan. And there were photos of it and it was very gross looking. What does he just be out of a hole now? Like, that's so weird. And he's so young. Like, that's the rest of your life. Uh, For anyone interested, because you're here, you might be. Um, I will tell you his name is 
Mao Sugiyama. Yeah. So if you're interested, look that up. I saw uh, my cousin's uh, Instagram story and I was like, well, I have to look into this, of course. And I did. And it was really gross. Yeah. There was a lot of photos. Yeah. Ooh, it was so gross. So, was so gross. Very gross. Yeah. Anyway, just a little tidbit for you guys to start us <laughs> off. And now into the unsolved murder of Robert Wohn. So Robert Wohn, and I believe I'm pronouncing that right. That seems to be how people pronounce the last name Wohn. I've never seen that name before. Um, but he was born on June 1st, 1974 to parents William and Amy Wohn. He was a fourth generation Chinese American born in Manhattan and raised in Brooklyn, New York. And he was the older of two sons. Uh, Robert was a very hardworking kid and did very well in school. Robert was often spoken about as an unbelievably kind person, the type of guy who was constantly doing good deeds for others just for the good of it. And I think that most people are spoken of very fondly after death, of course. But after reading about Robert extensively, it's clear that he was the type of person who would just always go above and beyond for others and that it was like a part of his innate nature to be very generous and kind and hardworking. He sounds was, like a nice guy. He was seemed like a really nice guy. People tell all these stories and I, like at first I was like, I don't really believe that because that's crazy. But like he would apparently just like put money in parking meters if he saw that they were going out or like spend his college evenings like washing graffiti and bird poop off of <laughs> mountains and shit. Like just actually really nice and kind. And, like, wanted to put good into the world, which is very refreshing. I've literally never heard of anybody doing stuff like that. Right. So, sounds like a really awesome guy. Robert was also super smart. He won valedictorian in his high school, and he went on to study at the College of William and Mary, which I'd never heard of before. Um, it's a public research university with a really great reputation. Looks like an awesome school. Okay. Well, there he met a guy named Joseph Price. Joseph was three years older than Robert. I believe they met. I think that he was like one of the people who helped tour Robert around the school when he first got there or when he visited. I don't know. Um, but even though he was older than Robert, they the two were both very into politics and student government, and they got along very well. It seemed that both of them were um, very into activism, kind of stemming from their own experiences. Robert was very focused on racial issues and advocating specifically for Asian American immigrants, as that's where he, that's like the life he came from. And Joseph got heavily involved in LGBTQ advocacy, himself being a gay man. And I think it's maybe more accurate, like at the time, it was probably more just like LGB than the acronym it is now um as this was back i don't know early 2000s maybe even before um but they both went on to study law joseph price at the university of virginia and robert wone at the university of pennsylvania both men used their law backgrounds to pursue these areas of interest and the two remained at least somewhat or quite close although they went down separate paths and moved away from each other um, and didn't see each other often. In 2002, Robert met a woman named Kathy Yu. 
at a legal conference. They began dating. Kathy is the daughter of Korean immigrants and grew up in Chicago. Robert and Kathy had a great relationship by all accounts. They loved each other very much. Soon into dating, however, Kathy was diagnosed with lupus. She oh, no. was, yeah, I don't, I don't know too much about lupus, but it's doesn't, it seems like you can live with it, but it's not good. Yeah. It's just not good. I feel it's like. like pretty chronic, right? Yeah. She was initially afraid to tell Robert about her diagnosis because she was afraid that he wouldn't want to stay with her. Although Aww. it's hard to believe that she would think that because he seemed like such he's a like the guy. nicest guy of all time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but of course, Robert stuck by her side and they later got engaged. And after the couple after the couple got married, they settled in Oakton, Virginia, where Robert was working as a lawyer. And soon after their marriage, Robert was offered a job as the general counsel of a place called Radio Free Asia in Washington, D.C. So I'll just read you Radio Free Asia's mission statements. You can understand what they are. Um, So, quote, Radio Free Asia's mission is to provide accurate and timely news and information to Asian countries whose governments prohibit access to free press. RFA is funded through an annual grant from the United States Agency for for Global Media, an independent U.S. agency. RFA is a legislative firewall that bars interference by U.S. government officials in the execution of RFA's mission of providing reliable journalism to audiences otherwise deprived of uncensored, accurate press, end quote. That's cool. So it sounds like a pretty cool organization. Yeah. I believe it's some sort of nonprofit, but um, Robert was ecstatic to get this job offer. He had applied for it and it was something that he was like super, super into. Um, it was an exciting opportunity and it was right up his alley, but accepting the job meant a pretty significant pay decrease. Oh. Um, but it was something that Robert really felt passionate about. So Kathy encouraged him to take it and he did. And they were like still making fine money and not like it didn't put them in the poorhouse. The only downside of this job, and this is, I find this a little bit funny, but the commute was long, apparently. Ugh, that is a downside. But the commute, I looked it up, the commute was like between 24 and 37 minutes. Yeah, that's not that bad. It's not, I mean, by our it's standards, it's not that bad. Yeah. 37 is like kind of pushing it though. It seemed like, so if you Google mapped it from now, like there's two routes that you could take. One was 24 and one was 37 minutes. And I'm sure that was, that was probably like not at rush hour, maybe rush hour is way worse, but it seems like it's pretty much a half hour commute, which I mean, that is just like, to me, not a very long commute at all. It's not that bad, but it's still like kind of annoying, I guess. I don't know. It was just, it was made a very big deal about this commute and you'll see why. Commuting is annoying. Like you don't think it's that bad, but you do it for years and years and years. I know commuting fucking sucks, but to me, a long commute is like two hours. That's yeah. That's long. Like that, like where I live and a lot of people like a lot where we, where I, you and I live, like a lot of people live where you live and commute to where I live. Yeah, for sure. Daily. And, and it like drains their soul and every day. Yeah, it sucks. It robs <laughs> you of like a piece of your life. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely think long commutes are terrible, but this is not a, this is not a long commute. It's not that long. It adds Eight up. Five minutes. Chris used to work at. It adds up. Chris used to work at Young and Eglinton, and coming okay. from where I live, and it's like forty-five minutes every day. Yeah, based on traffic, and it's like that's not far, but I didn't consider it like a long commute. 
Yeah. People who live in Brampton commute long to get to the city. Yeah. Shout out to all our Brampton listeners. Yeah. Or like whatever suburb. Anyway. Anyway, I just, I thought I had a little chuckle, but it's not funny. Okay. So (laughs) (laughs) on August 2nd, 2006, Robert had to stay late to work. Uh, at, stay late at work to attend a legal education course, which wouldn't end until around 9 p.m. Knowing that he would have to take part in the course and be back at work the next morning, he had arranged a place to spend the night that was closer to work. So you see how this long commute, he's like, I can't leave work at 9 p.m. because the commute. Is he going to die? Like, is this when he's going to die? Yes. Oh my God. Why would he do that then? It's not that long of a commute. It's not worth your life. That's what I'm saying. Anyway, he doesn't know. Anyway, anyway. But so two weeks prior, Robert had asked a female friend if he could stay at her place for a reason that I'm not sure of. She said no. Why was it a female? Well, (laughs) it would have been better if this female said yes, first of all. After, so she said no. I don't know what, what the reason was. Probably was like a normal reason. After that, Robert asked that she said no. No, it's weird that he asked her. It, Yeah, thinking about it, it is. And you're making me think of something, so remind me of that later. But anyway, so, so she said no. Maybe she was just out of town. I don't know. But Robert asked his friend from university, Joseph Price, if he could crash at his place on the night of August 2nd. Okay. Agreed. Uh, Joseph lived in Washington, D.C. in a row house. At 1509 Swan Street Northwest near DuPont Circle. At the time, Joseph was a partner at a prominent law firm and also a director and general counsel for a nonprofit that supported the LGBTQ community. Again, this was probably it was probably the LGB community at the time. And remember, this is 2006. Gay marriage is still illegal. So like that's the context of like, you know, what they're dealing with. Joseph lived with two men. One was his partner, Victor Zaborski. The pair had been together for six years and were a registered domestic. They were registered domestic partners at the time. I guess that was like what you could do if you could. Yeah. Victor was the director of marketing for the milk process processes education program, which if you recall the got milk campaigns. Yes, I do. I do recall. That's what he was working on. Okay. They shared the master bedroom on the third floor of their home. And if you want to look at those floor plans along with any of this, please. It's not that important yet, but whatever. The other man who lived with them was named Dylan Ward, and he had his own room on the second floor. Dylan had an associate of culinary arts degree and also a degree in children's literature. He kind of like did a bunch of stuff. He published children's books and he also worked with Joseph as a development director at the nonprofit. It seems that Joseph and Dylan also had an intimate relationship. Dylan had first moved in as a roommate and eventually he and Joseph began a sexual relationship and their relationship seemed to be um, very like, they were into like BDSM and like subdom stuff. Um, which One of I, those. Yeah, which didn't really seem to be what Joseph and Victor were into. Um, so it seemed that Joseph and Victor had a relationship and then Joseph and Dylan had a relationship, but there's no mention of 
Victor and Dylan ever being together sexually. Okay. Um, but they all seem to be um, like really good friends and they and other people seem to refer to them as a family. And it, it was it's said that they were all in some sort of polyamorous relationship. Oh, okay. But it just like Joseph was like the connector. Right. Okay. So of all the three men in the house, Robert was closest with Joseph, obviously. And he had known him since university and the two kept up with each other. Although he only met Victor and Dylan through Joseph, it seemed clear that Robert had met both of them on multiple occasions and had known them reasonably well. Both Joseph and Victor had attended Robert's wedding. And two years uh, two years prior, all three men had hosted Robert's 30th birthday party in their townhome. Okay. So these were people he knew. There was a fourth person living in the townhouse, a female tenant named Sarah Morgan, who occupied the basement unit. She was not home the night of August 2nd, and apparently she had spoken with Joseph earlier that day, and she said she would be staying overnight at a friend's house, something she often did. Sarah left around 6 p.m., but before she left, she spoke with Joseph and told him that she had turned on the house's alarm system. Okay. So the following is the timeline of events as told by Joseph, Victor, and Dylan. Let's hear it. The only people who were there. So before Robert arrived at Joseph's home, his partner, Victor, arrived home from a business trip. This is when Joseph told Victor that Robert would be staying the night with them. Victor said that he was too tired to stay up to greet Robert and that he would say hi to him in the morning. Then Victor went up to the third floor bedroom and watched some TV before he would fall asleep. Robert, according to the men, arrived at 1509 Swan Street at approximately 10.30 p.m. Joseph and Dylan greeted Robert. The three chatted very briefly at the kitchen table. And if you do want to go into the drive and look at the photo of the kitchen, um, it's not really a kitchen table. It's like an island. It's not super important, but maybe in theorizing later it might be um okay. they mostly just yeah. chatted talked about family and the weather and they had glasses of water joseph and dylan then led robert up to the second floor home office um the the trio had to walk up the stairs take a right directly outside of dylan's bedroom and walk down the hallway the home office had a pullout couch where robert would sleep Joseph went up to his bedroom where Victor was already in bed and asleep and he turned the TV off and Dylan went to his room on the second floor. He claims he took a sleeping pill, read a magazine and went to sleep. Hmm. Nice Robert, nighttime routine over there. Yeah. I mean, sleeping I feel like pill, read a I magazine like, and sleep. I feel like I should sleep with sleeping pills. I don't know. Like they put you to sleep, I guess. I guess. I took melatonin once, but it just made me feel like so groggy and nasty. Yeah, same. So I just listened. Not to worth it. And avoid my own thoughts. And just have nice nightmares while you sleep. The nightmares I get from listening to True Crime podcasts are better than the nightmares that are my own thoughts and anxieties. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> I'll take it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking about this with my friends recently. So anyway, I'm fine. A little bit before midnight, both Victor and Joseph heard the chime of the back door opening. So I think most people with an alarm system probably know 
maybe you don't, but if you have an alarm system, generally, um, when you open and close doors, you can set it so that there's like a chime. So you can hear something like a do-do-do, whatever. Yes. Um, also, I hope you are okay. Yeah, no, I aren't too bad. I'm good. I'm good. I, I, they're not, they're not bad. I just, all my dreams are just weird and creepy, but it's fine. Yeah. I pretty much never remember mine, but I just smoke weed before bed. That's why the one time that I didn't, I actually had kind of a good dream. I was carrying both of my dogs each over my shoulder. Well, two of my dogs, two out of three. You had like amazing strength. Like Squish and Rouge, they both fit over my shoulder. And normally maybe one of them would, but the other one definitely would not. He's 75 pounds. But in the dream, I was just carrying, I was carrying both of them around. And you were just deezed. I, yeah, it was like really easy. And I was just like, I went in an elevator and then I was on a bus and I was doing all these things and I just had them there. No, interesting thing about pregnancy is during pregnancy, people tend to have like very vivid and extremely oh. uh, like intense dreams. And I haven't really experienced that with this pregnancy, but I definitely did with my previous ones. And like it, like it was fucked. Yeah, that's scary. Scary dreams like, are, you know. Yeah, but like not even like I have it's hard a lot to of, wake up. Like you wake up from it and then it's like hard to of, go back to sleep. I have a lot of dreams where like like Chris and I like get divorced or like just like terrible okay. stuff like that. And it's like really it's upsetting. Not, yeah, and it's I not wake like up and I'm like something jumping out at you. I get like re- and I'm and he's like, What? And I'm like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because so. then you think it's real. Yeah. Okay. It feels really real. Just I think the pregnancy dreams, like they really feel real. So that's fun. Okay. So where were we? So yes, they were asleep. And at some point they heard the charm of the alarm system. And it seems that all three of them thought this was probably what's her name? Sarah Morgan coming home. It was not out of the realm of possibility that like she said, she was not going to be home, but decided to come home. Yeah. Okay. It's her right to do so. It's her home. Yeah. Um, And that would have made sense. But a few minutes later, they heard what they described as like a breathy, quiet noise, maybe mm. a muffled scream. Mm. Um, like this is like so it's Victor and Joseph upstairs, and like they said they heard it, and Dylan also said that he heard it, but because of the sleeping pill, he was super drowsy and kind of out of it. He didn't really pay attention. Mm. Another reason not to take sleeping pills. Yeah, you never know when you need to run. Yeah. Victor and Joseph followed the sound, which led them to the office where they found Robert unresponsive and with a huge stab wound in his chest. Oh, shit. Victor screamed at the sight of Robert. Joseph told Victor to go upstairs and call 911 while Joseph got a towel and held it to Robert's chest. Dylan did end up waking up after hearing all of this commotion and came to the room to find the whole scene. He was still kind of out of it, though, due to the sleeping pill again. Okay. And we will now play the 911 call that came in at 11.49 p.m. that evening. And Hannah, you can listen to that. D.C. emergency 911 operator 6752. Do you need police, fire, or ambulance? What's wrong, ma'am? We, just, uh, we had someone that was in our house, evidently, and they stabbed somebody. Okay, somebody's inside the house now? I don't know. We heard. Are they bleeding? You see someone yes. bleeding? Someone is bleeding in our house. Okay. Where are they bleeding from? Uh, I think he's, I think in the stomach. In the stomach? Is he cautious? Uh, Calm down for me. I'm going to send some help, okay? Female or male? It's a male. He's a friend of ours. He was sent 
he's spending the night with us. Okay, and who was the person that stabbed him? Do you know? Is I he is, is he conscious? We need an ambulance. Ma'am, no, listen no, to me. He's not conscious. He's not conscious at all. No, we need someone right now. Is he breathing? Is listen, he, listen to me. Calm down. I'm going to help you. Okay? Is he breathing? I'm upstairs, and he's downstairs. I don't know. Okay, who's downstairs with him? My partner is downstairs with him right now. He told me to go upstairs and call the police immediately. I just went to the stairs and... Okay, who's the person? Okay, I'm sending paramedics and the police. Okay, who's the person that stabbed him? I don't know. We think it's somebody with an intruder in the house. We heard the chime of the door. <laughs> and it's 15, ma'am, calm down. 1509 Swan Street, Northwest, am I correct? Yes, it is. The person that stabbed him, is he still in the home? I don't know. We got help in route, okay? Pardon me? We have help in route. Thank you. They're okay. here. They are there route to you now. I'm saying the police and the paramedics, okay, to assist. Okay, what I need you to do is go downstairs, okay? The place where, wherever he was stabbed at, I need you to get a dry cloth, okay? And just apply pressure to that area. If he was, wherever he was stabbed at on his body, I need you to take a towel downstairs while you're waiting for the paramedics to arrive and just apply pressure. Even if the rag or towel is saturated with blood, just get another towel and put it on top, but never lift the, the first towel off the area. Hold it on. Once it gets filled up with blood, just put another towel on top of that and just apply pressure until the paramedics arrive. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The heart. In the heart? Yes. Okay. Is he breathing? Is he breathing? We have help him right now, okay? You don't know who it was? No idea. Don't touch, don't touch, just like Okay, is he breathing? He's breathing, but he needs help now. Okay, we have help in route, ma'am, okay? We do have help in route. Okay, just go down there and try to tell your husband or your other, um, the other half to just try to keep him calm and talk to him, okay? Keep him calm and talk to him until someone gets there. Okay. And at the same time, get a dry cloth and just hold it right there in the area. My partner's holding the okay. It, it, holding it on him. Okay, and once it gets saturated with blood, then I'm get another one. Go get another towel so you can apply it on top of that one once it gets filled up with blood. Okay. We, need, well, we need you to apply pressure on that area. He is applying pressure right there. Okay, just hold it there until the paramedics get there. They should be pulling up any moment if they're already en route to your location. You don't know who did this. We have no idea who did this. Is the door open so they can get in? We don't know how they got in. Okay, well, I'm asking you now, is the door open so the paramedics can get in once they get here? What? Sorry. What were you saying? Is the door open so they can get in? Is the okay. door open so the so the paramedics can get in the home? I'm going to go down. Is this a private home or apartment? It's, it's a home. It's a home. It's 1509 Swan Street, Northwest. The person had one of our knives. The person that stabbed him ran out the door with a knife? I, I think so. Uh, okay, anybody get any type of description of the person that came in the home? I have no idea. We have no description. We heard we heard the chime and and we heard the scream from our friends. Okay. And so we 
came running downstairs. We ran in. So you both was upstairs and your friend was downstairs. Yes. You heard the door open and then you heard the scream. We didn't. I didn't hear the door open until after the scream, and then we ran down the stairs and we heard we are we have an alarm, and so the chime went off. Okay. Is the ambulance? We really need the ambulance. Okay, they in they in right now, ma'am. Go to the door. They should be pulling up any moment, okay? I'm afraid to go downstairs. Okay, the person who's downstairs was the person that was assaulted. No, we're in the, we're on the second floor. Okay, so somebody need to go downstairs and open the door for the paramedics. You're not sure if that person's still in the home or not? I have no idea. Okay, we have paramedics in route, okay? What time is it? What time is it at the moment? Yes. 23.54. It's 11.54, ma'am. 11.54. Yes. I mean... I'll stay on the line with you. I will stay on the line until somebody gets here, okay? I won't hang up. We need them right now. I'm not hanging up, but we need, we need help now. Okay, they are en route, ma'am. They are en route. <sighs> Let me know when you hear the paramedics. Can you look out the window and see if you hear them coming? I'm, I'm looking out the window, and I see nothing. I see nobody. Okay, it seems like forever, but they are en route, ma'am. They're coming. Here they are. Here they are. They're there. <laughs> I'm going downstairs. Okay. I'll stand the line with you till you open the door for the paramedics, okay? Help us. We have someone with stabbed through on our second floor. <laughs> Ma'am. No, it's really an emergency. I mean, he maybe he's sorry. Ma'am, it's gonna be okay. That was the 911 call. It's pretty that, weird. It was a little odd for a number of reasons. But yeah. w- one thing to note, too, is that so that's Victor Zaborski on the phone and the 911 okay. operator, dispatcher, whatever, mistakes him for a woman. Yeah. And he keeps calling her him, ma'am. And he doesn't correct her, which to me makes sense. It seems reasonable. Oh, it's yeah. Like, you're just stressed. You don't care. Yeah. And it's like that's not fine. important either. I think. Um, um, I think like he he was like he said the person had one of our knives. Is that what he said? Yes. How would he know that? Like the knife was left in. Yes, I'll explain about the. Okay, knife. okay. Um, I'll get there. Um, but so Victor is like very frantic and emotional, right? Um, mm-hmm. and I think I think I personally think the franticness. I buy that it's genuine. I mean, yeah, like that's, it's, I could, seems I th- reason enough to be stressed out. So. I think it, it could be contrived. It could not be, but I, I wouldn't, yeah. I couldn't tell the difference myself. It's hard to say, but like when the, when the 911 operator is like, well, you know, if the blood soaks through the first towel, then just put another towel on it. I mean, I would be, I would be scared. I would be stressed out. Yeah. One thing is like Victor is up on the third floor and not down on the second floor where all this is taking place so like all that information is pretty much useless because he's not able to rely relay the information to 
Joseph, who's with Robert at right. the time. But another thing is, um, and I think what a lot of people point out about this is like, Victor is talking, every time he talks, he talks about in, in we, in the sense of we. So it sounds like they, like the guys spoke together and then established a story. And then it's like, it's like they've had a conversation. Whereas if you Probably. stumble, but it's like, if you stumble upon somebody who's just been stabbed, like you should call 911 right there. Like there's no, there shouldn't be time to establish a story. There shouldn't yeah. be time for, and like they're, they're just quickly jumping. He just jumps right to like somebody broke in and did this, which yeah. is either, um, either you had time to talk to everybody and decide that nobody had done it because to them, like he, he shouldn't have been able to know that Dylan didn't do it. Why? Like, and why would somebody come in and just stab one person and then leave? Well, and that's, that, that's their story and they're sticking to it. Yeah. So I think we can discuss a little bit more later when it's relevant that 911 call, but so this happens the paramedics get there. You hear them come at the end of the call mm-hmm. and Victor's there to like show them where to go. Okay. So the paramedics got there and the first person they meet was Victor. He was still crying, still on the phone to 911. And as you can see, he's like weeping at this point. He directed them to the second floor. Victor was wearing a white bathrobe and looked like he had recently showered. Then they ran into Dylan as they got up to the second floor, mm-hmm. he uh, they asked where the victim was and Dylan silently pointed them in the direction of the office and then went back to his own room and shut the door. Okay. Paramedics were super weirded out by Dylan's behavior. Yeah, that's he weird. was oddly calm, very deadpan. He blames it, of course, Fuck. on the sleeping pill. Oh. Um, but there's no way to prove that he took the sleeping pill or did not take the sleeping pill. In the office, they found Joseph wearing only a pair of underwear and leaning over Robert. Although, and mind you, also Dylan is also wearing a bathrobe and also looks like he's just washed himself. Hmm. So they find Joseph wearing only a pair of underwear, leaning over Robert, although it did not seem like he was doing anything to help Robert. He was not, <laughs> he had a towel, but he was not applying it to a wound or anything. Even with Fuck. Um, Without glancing in their direction, he quietly told them that he heard a scream and then he backed away slowly and stayed quiet. The paramedics were super freaked out by his behavior and kept a very close eye on him and his hands because they were like, this is this guy seems suspicious as hell. Yeah. And all these um, paramedics were like veteran paramedics, 25 years on the job, like had seen everything and anything. And they were really, really weirded out by this scene. It's weird. Yes. So when they got to Robert, Robert was cold and unresponsive. He had three stab wounds in his chest and he was. Yeah, three. He was rushed to the hospital, but pronounced dead shortly after midnight. Right. So things seem weird right away. Contrary to the 911 story told by Victor, Robert seemed like he had been dead for some period of time. Mm hmm. Victor had made it seem like they heard something and immediately came into the room to find Robert, which would have meant that the attack had just happened. Victor was even worried that the intruder was still in the house when he was on the phone. The three stab wounds were not actively bleeding. Another indication that Robert would have died a while ago. There was also very little blood, uh, like pumping out 
for Ugh. this for the size and location of these wounds. They would find out later that one of them had actually pierced his heart. So there should have been like blood oh, everywhere. And like it should have been had it happened in the time and manner that they said, it should have been just like gushing. Like Ew, they should yeah. have needed to have been applying pressure. Yeah. There was no spatter, no sign that the that's um, weird. Yeah, there's nothing. There's like a pool under him, but well, no yeah, light. but no yeah. The paramedics found this very odd. This is so suspicious already. It's extremely suspicious. And okay, the, the paramedics also noted that it was almost as if Robert had been wiped down, like post-attack. Almost as if they wiped him down and then took a shower. Yes. <laughs> Robert was found right. wearing... Yeah, it's pretty obvious like where this is going, but like... But it's like, what the fuck at the same time? Why did you guys do that? Yeah. And they're like really sticking to this intruder story. Um, Robert was found wearing green nylon shorts and a white William and Mary t-shirt. And he okay. also had a night guard in his mouth. Kathy would later tell the police that Robert always slept topless because he sweated excessively. All of Robert's valuables were sitting untouched on the desk. He had keys, wallet, and watch. And he also. And if you're going to stab him, you would take that if you're an intruder. It's right there. Um, uh, did the shirt have a stab? holes in it too yes um and on the nightstand they found a black handled steel bladed kitchen knife that was smeared with robert's blood and and it's scary and the towel that was there presumably joseph was using it to um, (laughs) be extremely unhelpful yeah it was covered in blood as well so investigators arrived on the crime scene as they were reeling wheeling robert out to the ambulance and they found all three men, Victor, Dylan, and Joseph. Uh, oh, so, so no, they found all three men, Victor and Dylan clad in their white bathrobes and Joseph still only in his underwear. Okay. Joseph did all the talking, confidently told the police that they had been burglarized, pointing to the slightly ajar back door. The back mm-hmm. door led out to a completely enclosed ground floor patio. The only entrance to the patio being the door to the house. If one were to scale the fence, they would find themselves um, in the alleyway going between the other residences. Joseph told them that he had accidentally left the back door unlocked after going out to the patio earlier that night to investigate something that he saw that turned out to be a spider on one of the lights. What the fuck? Okay. That's not a believable story. You went out to investigate a spider? Well, he thought it was something else. It turned out it was a spider. If it's the size of a spider, why would you care about investigating it? It's just really random and a way it's to just a bad story. <laughs> and it's just like, no, God, that's a lot of detail, Joseph. Yeah, a lot of not like believable sounding detail. Yeah. Um, All right. So he suggested that someone had scaled the fence and come in to rob their home. Right, but didn't take anything. No. One <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, one thing that could be said about this story at the time was that there did happen to be a lot of reported robberies in the area. It wasn't completely illogical for the men to assume that. I'll give that. Joseph told the police that he first heard the door chime and thought maybe it was the basement tenant, although she said she would not be home that night. And then he heard a scream and came running down the stairs and found Robert outside on the back door bleeding. Oh, okay. All three men then carried him upstairs to the sofa bed. 
This was different from what Joseph said to the paramedics when he indicated that he heard a scream and found Robert stabbed in his room. Yeah. Interesting. Also, I'm pretty sure it's different than when Victor said on the phone. What the fuck? Investigators also found that the alarm system had been disarmed, which if we recall, the basement girl said she turned it on. So that would have meant that one of the guys would have had to have turned it off at some point um, after the girl left. There's an ambulance siren. Anyway. Do, do we know for sure that she turned it on? She said that she turned it on. We know that she said that she turned it on. Who, to who? To the, to the guys? To Joseph. Okay. So um, and a super she, credible and believable source. Interestingly, she, I guess she was in, like, she was questioned or whatever, but she's never spoken since. Okay. About this whole thing. I would not want to be involved, so. I would not want to be involved, but, like, I'd also want it to be solved. And, like, if I could help, I'd help. And, like, to clear her name and stuff, too. And, like, she she wasn't home. So, like, there's, there's I don't, nobody's pointing the finger at her. Right. Just, that's like, true. That's true. Um. So, when more investigators, investigators came by to have the men repeat their story. Oh, sorry. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Joseph then put on a white robe to match the other two before more investigators arrived. The men were asked to stay in the living room together and people observed them whispering to each other. Oh, suspicious. Well, and I don't think that's crazy. It It is. Why do you need to whisper? Just talk. What are you hiding? Well, they could be like, I don't know. I think innocent people could be whispering, but why are they together? You separate people. That's a crazy right. mistake on the investigators' part. So they can part. get their story they straight. Immediately separate them and question yeah. them individually. Yeah, for investigators. Why would you not? Yeah. Why yeah. would you let them sit there whispering about? That's dumb. When immediately it's suspicious. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, so that I think was like mistake number one of many. Oh, one of those. Yeah. When more investigators when more investigators came by to have the men repeat their story, Dylan began to talk and was immediately hushed by Joseph, who went on to repeat the story. Okay. Why are you it's hushing him? So suspicious. <laughs> investigators yeah. were immediately suspicious of the burglary theory that Joseph suggested. The yeah. house had a bunch of nice expensive stuff all over and nothing had been touched. The house is really nice. I've been looking at the photos. It's very nice. Yeah, it's it's an expensive home. They have It looks like it. Good taste for the time. Um, <laughs> there, you know, it's like three guys with de- like good jobs. No, yeah, kids. you can tell they're like they're not like you know college living. No, no, these are like fully established. Yeah, wealthy men. So then they get taken away to be interviewed. I believe right. I'm not positive of that, but I'm pretty sure it's so all three really tried to downplay their relationship with Robert. They all said that they were just merely acquaintances, but we know that Joseph and Robert were at least at one point pretty close. And you hosted Robert, his birthday party. Like thank you're not you. just acquaintances. Yes. And um, this. I, I was reading today even too, that the, the next day they went over to, to Kathy and like were mourning with her and Joseph Price was a pallbearer at Robert's funeral. So we'll like, now. give me a break that you were not close. Yeah. All three men were at some point in each other's recollections unable to be accounted for at some point, but all oh. of them were because they all were like in different rooms or whatever. Like Victor wouldn't be able to account for the two of them when they greeted Robert. Dylan would not be able yeah, to account yeah. for, you know, like whatever. 
Um, but they were all very adamant of their own innocence and of the innocence of the other two men. They okay. all knew that everyone was innocent. We totally believe you. After learning a bit about the men in the house and their three-way relationship situation, the investigators thought the most logical thought was that Robert was involved with one or more of them in some sort of gay relationship, perhaps in secret, knowing that he was in a straight marriage, Robert was. All three men denied being with Robert sexually in any way and insisted that Robert was absolutely straight. And to this day, there's zero indication that Robert was anything but. Okay. Back at the house, after searching the home, the detectives found a lot more evidence that seemed to contradict the intruder theory. Wow. Didn't see that coming. Yes. Starting with the actual crime scene. So the black-handled kitchen knife that was found on the nightstand had blood covering the entire 5.5-inch blade. Although there really wasn't any on the actual, like, serrated, like, knife part. You know what I mean? Like the part that you would put down. Like somebody, somebody wiped it down. Um, so it, it was as if blood had been wiped onto the knife. Oh. Um, hmm. There were also multiple white fibers consistent with the white towel. And like there's pictures of the knives in the towel in the in the drive if you want to look. Right. Um, the knife did not have any fibers from Robert's T-shirt, which it should have had to stab through. Yeah. And yet the claim that the killer stabbed him yeah, through the T-shirt. And the most curious thing was that Robert's wounds were only four inches deep, but the knife was 5.5 inches and all 5.5 inches were covered in blood. It's kind of weird. Yeah. The towel uh, was also pretty suspect. It was soaked in blood, but not in the way that it should have been had it been used to apply pressure to bleeding stab wounds. It was consistent with a knife and looked as if it had been used to smear blood across a surface or of the, of the blade of the knife and as well to wipe blood off of a surface. This part seemed to be consistent with a very thin layer of blood found all over Robert's chest. It looked as if someone had wiped his chest after he was Ugh. which would explain why he's not covered in blood weirdly. Why like why you would even do that it doesn't make any sense. I know. There were no fingerprints found on the knife, although Joseph did say that he found it laying across Robert's chest and moved it to the nightstand. Joseph also said that they might not find any prints because the perpetrator may have been wearing gloves. Oh, I'm so sure he was. Thanks, Robert. Where are your gloves then, Robert? Joseph. (laughs) But it's like, do we need you to theorize here? Like, yeah. And, And like, wouldn't his fingerprints be on it then if he moved it? Yes. So, so why aren't they? Yeah, why aren't they? And I mean, some things like look, I I try to like give as much benefit of the doubt so that you know when we do come at you, it's like in a reasonable manner. But maybe the, you know, not every time you leave a fingerprint, I don't. Maybe he grabbed. How it could like you this. not? Yeah, <laughs> he just goes like this. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely. You're right. That's probably or happened. like with his knuckles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. The home office itself showed almost no sign of a struggle. And according to his autopsy, nor did his wounds. It was determined that none of his stab wounds would have been enough to kill him instantly. He would have had struggled and moved around for a minimum of one minute and probably longer. But his wounds were all very uniform, which suggested to the coroner that he had been completely still during all three stabs. 
based on the bedding and the position he was found in and the complete lack of defensive wounds, it looked like Robert hardly moved at all for the entire duration of his attack. Ugh. It is possible that he was stabbed in his sleep, but this could and this could account for some lack of movement, but not all of it. Even if yeah. he had been asleep, he would have woken up and yeah, like, there's no way he would have just lied completely still the entire time. I would wake you up for sure. So and in fact, we know that he must have because Joseph said that he heard a scream or like a muffled. Like right. There was a, something a that woke them up. And the theory that he was asleep also goes against what Kathy said about him never wearing a shirt to go to sleep. The fact that he was wearing a shirt suggests that he had never gone to sleep yet. Yeah. All of this suggested to the medical examiner that Robert must have been incapacitated in some way before he was stabbed. Right. The medical examiner also noted that Robert appeared to have some hemorrhaging in one of his eyes, which is a sign of asphyxiation. There was no physical signs of strangulations of strangulation on his neck but they couldn't rule out something like a pillow yeah or drugs would there be drugs in his system so i i'll get to that in a minute okay the emmy also found multiple needle marks on robert's body some on the left side of his neck three on his chest two on his right foot and one on the back of his left hand that's weird Yes, very weird. And there was no record that Robert had any injections or IVs either recently or from the paramedics or people at the hospital the night of his death. And why would they be in some of those locations, like his feet? Baffling, I have no idea. Okay, that's very strange. Also found no foreign DNA of any kind on Robert, which is also consistent with what the paramedics noted about Robert appearing to have been wiped down or cleaned. The toxicology report came back negative for any sort of drugs or alcohol, but later we find out that they did not check for everything and also couldn't rule out the possibility that he was drugged with something that left his system before it could have been tested. Okay. So that's like the toxicology report is essentially useless. Yeah, literally. They know that like there's certain- Thanks for your help, guys. They know that there's like a a certain list of drugs that were not there, but they did not account for everything. (laughs) All right. So what's the point then? <laughs> this is where things are going to get funky. So All right. then they get to Dylan's room. Oh, Dylan. What was in there? Dylan looks murdery, by the way. You strange, strange man. So From the photo that you uh, put in the drive, which I assume will be on screen at some point. Yeah. I he ca- looks a little murdery. I tried really hard to find a normal looking photo of him, but it's all. No, that's fine. what he looks like. That's clearly what he looks like. The I other only, two look normal. I was only able to find like one like really tiny photo of him where he looked looked normal. I think he this is like. very murdery. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he does. All right. So in Dylan's room, detectives found a cutlery box set and it should have had two knives and a large fork in it. It was like some like gift set or whatever. But okay. one of the knives was missing. They got in contact with the manufacturer who sent them a duplicate of the missing knife. And when tested against Robert Robert's wounds, forensic analysts found that this knife was a much more consistent with the injuries than the one found on the nightstand. But the okay. knife was never found. In Dylan's room, they also found a bunch of uh, like a lot of BDSM type equipment toys. I don't know what you call it. Like what? Um, so this is all stuff used in the realm of dominant submissive type sex. There were okay. clamps, restraints, chains, mouth gags, collars, hooks, everything. All right. A lot of it. There was also a bunch of books specifically geared towards sadomasochistic 
sadomasochistic masochistic sex stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. A lot of content about hurting people for sexual gratification, et cetera, et cetera. Um, A lot of highlighted portions in these books. Highlighting. I love that he's just reading them and highlighting them. (laughs) This is good. (laughs) We love a good highlighter. I can picture his creepy ass face highlighting. (laughs) (laughs) But it was like multicolored highlighters. Uh, now, so this is all whatever, you know, Dylan was very upfront about his enjoyment of BDSM, him and Joseph. Fine. They had a dumb, submissive sexual relationship. Cool. Great. You're welcome to it. It's fine. Go for it. Just don't murder people. Here's where things get a little bit fishy. So during the autopsy, the Emmy found traces of semen on and around Robert's genitals. And did they now? They did. And also inside his anal cavity. This is already like. Okay, but here's the weird thing. The semen when did was, the intruder have time to fucking rape you? The then? semen was only his own. Oh. In how his did, butt. How did he manage to do that? So among, how is that? Is that even physically possible? I will tell you how it's physically possible, theoretically. Among Dylan's BDSM stuff. He had a machine called an electric shockwave generator. Oh, okay. There are photos. You can find them in our drive and I'll put this one in particular was called the Aerostick ET302R. And it was designed to produce the electric ejaculation of a person who is under anesthesia or otherwise incapacitated. This was a device. so weird. Why would you ever need that? Why would you need that? Please tell me. Dylan apparently really needs. What is the purpose of owning that device? So it's it seems to me, based on my research, it seems to me like it, this is a type of thing that has like a purpose that's not okay. was not invented for BDSM, but that people were oh, like, yeah, oh, yeah, like, yeah. We, this is like. For him, it. though, he does not like, why would you have that? So this is the device that was that created electrical type shocks that could be used on a person to basically force ejaculation. Apparently, this is used in some BDSM activities. Feel free to search online. I, I, I went online and like like some the videos just looked really intense. I didn't think I could do it. And then <laughs> Chris, like we're I was, <laughs> Chris walks in. I well, I, I had it up on my computer and like electro ejaculation and like photos. I mean, and yeah, I'm sure I, he he's he probably like seen you watching computer. weird stuff. That's <laughs> like that's for something. It's for the podcast. It's like whatever. <laughs> um. So, yes. So here's Wikipedia's explanation of electroejaculation in general. I like that term. Yeah, electroejaculation. It's a really long word and I can pronounce it easily. So it's cool. Good for you. Electroejaculation is usually carried out under general anesthetic. An electric probe is inserted into the rectum adjacent to the prostate. Clearly, this is like for the men. The probe delivers a slight electric current that stimulates nearby nerves, resulting in the contraction of the pelvic muscles and ejaculation. Hmm. Excuse me. This procedure is used frequently with large mammals, particularly bulls and some domestic animals. I'm assuming in like breeding. Yeah, that makes sense, I guess. As well as humans who have. People are so weird. 
yes, Hannah. Yes. But <laughs> see, you see, I would have said that and you'd be like, that's kink shaming. <laughs> Remember when I said it was weird to shit on people's like, like this like is that? weirder. This is weirder. This is weirder than liking somebody pooping on you. I think both are kind of weird, but this is weirder. You have to I go think- through such extent to like get this, like this machine. I just think pooping is like way grosser. I think it's gross, but this is weirder. <laughs> okay. It's, this it's is weirder. More... The other thing is grosser. And Fair. sorry Fair. if I'm kink shaming right now. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> I was kink shaming apparently when uh, yeah, you were. when I wasn't when I thought it was gross to shit on somebody. You just anyway. really shouldn't say that about somebody's kinks. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Uh, so it's used on some type of domestic animals, but as well as humans who have certain types of paralysis or erectile dysfunction. So okay. it's clearly it's got its medical purposes fine. Um, but these people fell under none of these categories. So... Found with this device were multiple attachments, like butt plugs and cock rings, which, as I understand, you would attach these pieces to the little box. Like, basically, the electro ejaculation thing or whatever was, like, an electric box. And, like, then you could attach things to it. You have to attach it, yeah. And there's a very... um, Oh, I'm looking at the diagram. Yeah, there it is. The diagram. Let's show you exactly what I'm talking about here. Essentially... informative. What we are talking about here for this situation is an electric milking machine for penises. Okay. The medical examiner, upon hearing that this was present in the house and finding the semen it's on so him, in him that is only his own, right? So it sounds like. But why would, how would it have ended up in him? Because I think it could have gotten onto the thing that they put in his butt and then they put it in his butt. Like, okay. I don't think there was, like, a whole load in there. Right. I think they just found. Okay, it. just, like, traces. Okay. Yeah, it was not specified. But that's because okay. I was really, I was really confused about that, too, because I'm, like, you would have had to, like, get it and then, like, you know. Yeah, you, you like wouldn't be able to aim it into there. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think it was just on something that was then inserted in. This it. is so weird. Isn't it so weird? Yeah, it's very weird. It's just, like. Dude, guys, like this is so unnecessary. And it's always so interesting when like the most normal seeming people are doing well, this kind of stuff. I don't think they seemed normal to anyone. Like a polyamorous relationship in 2002. No, I I know, but just like the house looks like it's like Yeah, yeah, it's like there's like wealthy people who are just like yeah. you do after my regular job like I'm It's not Adam Strong's BDSM basement. No, no. But uh it's equally shocking it's yeah so yes the medical examiner after seeing all this um thought that this suggested that robert had been sexually assaulted i mean yeah or at least involved in some type of sexual activity Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which they claimed he hadn't and it just seems like this electro ejaculation machine is like the only way that his own semen could have ended up in his own anal cavity yeah how I don't else? really see how else it could, literally. Like, I don't see how he could have done that himself. No, or, I don't but, think well, so. He... One could. I guess theoretically you could, you but could why just, would like, you? Jerk it off and then put your finger up your ass. You could. You, you could. I don't know why you would. Men like the, the butthole thing. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Some do. They say it all the time. All right. I don't know. 
Anyway, investigators started going through the house for forensics. They brought in a cadaver dog. Oh, shout out. Uh, this cadaver what kind dog. of dog? Wait, do you know what kind of dog it was? No, I only know that it was a <laughs> cadaver dog. I don't know anything about it. Just like he was a dog very a good boy. Yeah, maybe it was a girl. We don't know. He's very responsible. Yeah, he had a fucking job. I love that. So this oh, cadaver dog. Speaking of dogs, <laughs> <laughs> did you hear your own kind being mentioned? I think he did. Taro, or get he a just job. Heard, he heard me get really excited because you were talking about dogs. So he woke Taro, up. you don't even have a job. Get out of here. Well, guess what? He learned to fetch today. After almost <laughs> seven years, he learned to fetch. <laughs> kind of. So, okay. So now we're getting back to the investigators then started going over the house for forensics. They brought in a cadaver dog. Awesome. We love a cadaver dog. Dog with a job. The dog was trained to sniff out human remains or blood. Shout out the dog. Yes. The dog went right through the house to the back door and out onto the patio. Okay. So that lines up. He stopped right at the drain cover and indicated to the handler that he smelled blood. Upon further inspection, they noticed that the drain was slightly ajar and that there was also an uncoiled garden hose laying nearby, which looked like it had been used recently. Okay. Like to wash off blood? Presumably, that's the theory, right? Yeah, I don't and know. it the uncoiled garden hose seemed really out of place because everything else in the house was so neat and in its place. Yeah, that is the, it's weird. The dog also led its handler to an empty lint drawer of the dryer that was on the second floor. Mm, suspicious. Very. I love this dog. This is such a good boy or girl. Yeah, he fucking like owns his job. He yeah, that's amazing. Doing. Probably I couldn't sniff friend. that out. No, well. So proud of him. <laughs> <laughs> I spend too much time with dogs. It's kind of weird, I think. No, it's like, not. No, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Investigators then checked out the home office for signs of blood. They sprayed the room with some sort of chemical, not luminal. Um don't know like some other chemical um that shows up shows where blood has been and the that's cool lit up like the fourth of july oh there clearly had been a huge cleanup of the room that's so weird is it how the fuck is this unsolved yeah we'll get who dropped the ball okay based on all of this blood evidence the police began to theorize that there was a big bloody attack and that it had been cleaned up Ugh. The killer or killers then hosed their clothing down in the backyard over the drain and dried their clothes in the dryer. Remember, all three men also had appeared to have been freshly showered. Yeah. Like, when did you have time to shower if you just got stabbed? Thank you. So in the beginning, the guys were all cooperating. Investigators thought that Dylan was probably the weakest link. Um, Definitely the biggest creep. Yeah, he was he was the last to be involved in the thruple and the other two seemed closer. They tried to get him to crack, but Dylan stayed strong in his story and never wavered. And it wasn't long before all three men stopped speaking with police entirely and lawyered up. Oh, well, all of them. Yeah, they all got the best lawyers that money could buy. At least Joseph seemed to be pretty wealthy and was a pretty big name in the legal world. Right. So I think that's where their connections. Easy enough. Yeah. yeah. Joseph retained Bernard Grimm, one of Washington, D.C.'s top criminal lawyers. Okay. Dylan was represented by David 
Schertler. Yep. Another one of DC's best. And Victor Saborski got Thomas Connolly, who was recognized as one of the best lawyers in America. Okay. The investigators had been widely criticized for taking things too slowly. And things got a little sketchy and political as they went really hard on the idea that Robert was involved in a sexual relationship with one or more of the men, despite there being no real evidence to suggest that. Okay. And it seemed that the police were just super sketchy about, they were, they were super sketched out by the men's lifestyles and the fact that they were all gay and just focused way too much on that. Yeah. And not enough on the just obvious lies that they were all telling. Yeah. And I think this probably came out of the police trying hard to establish a motive because without, like, they're basically, without that, there's no motive. Right. But it kind of just muddied everything up and made people identify with the men because it looked like they were being. Um, yeah. Discriminated. Yes. Yeah. It wasn't until months later that they finally went public with the fact that the three men were the main suspects. And even then, nothing was really done. As they fucking should be. They had loads of circumstantial evidence, but nothing solid. And all three men yeah. remained free and clear of all charges. So something super weird also happened three months after the murder. The townhouse was actually burg- burglarized. And this was by Joseph's own brother, Michael Price. What the fuck? He stole a few thousand dollars worth of stuff. And it turns out that Michael was known for getting himself into trouble. And Joseph was known for helping him get out of it. That's weird. So weird and random. Joseph had convinced the other two to wait until the next day to report the burglary to authorities. And the charges were eventually dropped. Okay. So police started looking into Michael and it turns out Michael had been enrolled in some courses at Montgomery College and that he actually missed the class that he had on the night of August 2nd. That's weird. Night of the murder. Yes. Odd. Besides that odd fact, though, um, the fact that he did enter the home uh, the fact. OK, so besides that odd fact that he didn't go to class that night and the fact that he did enter the home as a real intruder. No other evidence exists to point toward Michael. So it kind of that kind of just died out. They did look okay. into it, but nothing came of it. Which doesn't mean it's not a thing. It's just there's no evidence. Okay. Kathy had been pretty quiet this whole time and very private. But about a year into this, she began to really speak out. She held a press conference on the one-year anniversary of Robert's death with her lawyer. She urged the killer or killers to confess and spoke pretty intensely about it. And shortly after this plea, it was very clear that she was speaking specifically to Joseph, Victor, and Dylan. Oh, okay. On November 25th, 2007, Benjamin J. Razzi, Kathy's attorney, announced that the Wone family had filed a $20 million civil lawsuit against the three men. Razzi said in a public statement... Quote, the complaint, which is based on documents and information disclosed for the first time in recent weeks, asserts claims for the wrongful death, negligence, spoliation of evidence and conspiracy against Joseph Price, Dylan Ward and Victor Zborski, end quote. So what he's talking about here specifically is a 14 page Metropolitan Police Department affidavit that alleged that Price, Zaborski and Ward had tampered with the crime scene and indictments against the three men on suspicion of obstruction of justice. I mean, at at the very least. Yes. So and just in case they did, they had to have like that's 
Yes, but this was the Everything first was time there was actual indictments. And in case right. anybody doesn't know what indictment means, it's a formal charge or accusation of a serious crime. Thank you. Um, in an article from Metro Weekly, they claim that the suit cited uh, cites language from the affidavit um, as, quote, Robert was restrained, incapacitated, sexually assaulted, and murdered. And there exists overwhelming evidence far in excess of probable cause that Price, Zaborski, and Ward obstructed justice by altering and orchestrating the crime scene, planting evidence, delaying the reporting of murder to the authorities, and lying to the police about the true circumstances of the murder when interviewed, end quote. Okay. This was all new information. Not, well, it knew, knew that, like, it was that they were laying these charges out were wanting to. Right. Um, but the wounds were not waiting around for the justice system to finally do something. In 2008, uh, Dylan had moved to Florida and got work as an RMT. Joseph Price sold the townhouse for $1.5 million, and he and Victor moved into a rental with plans to eventually move to Florida with Dylan. The thruple seemed to still be a thruple. But in the few months after the sale of the house, Dylan was arrested in Florida on obstruction of justice and was oh. jailed after he failed to make bail. What was the charge for? It was for this. Oh. And I think they took him first because, again, they were trying to separate him from the other two and see if he would talk. And see it was if because he, would... he was the creepiest. I mean, there's that, but also like <laughs> just it's just kidding. very clear that the other two are like way more of a couple than Dylan. Dylan's right, third right. wheel. Yes. Although to me, it... yeah, no, Dylan's the third wheel. Anyway, months later, so after he he uh, he didn't make bail, so he sat in jail for a little bit, but still stuck to his story. And months later, the police put out arrest warrants on Joseph and Victor, who turned themselves in, and they had not made it to Florida yet at this point. Okay. All three now face charges of obstruction of justice, tampering with evidence, and conspiracy to cover up, not murder. So now that the three men were faced with not only a civil lawsuit, but also a criminal trial. The civil trial did not go super well. All three of the men just invoked their Fifth Amendment rights um, for every single deposition in question. And because of their impending criminal trial, it did almost seem justified. Like it seemed like I think usually it would seem way more sketchy for them to plead the fifth on everything. But because they knew that there was a criminal trial coming up, it like wasn't as sketchy for them to do that. Okay. Although because we all think and know that they did it, it's still sketchy. Yeah. it's You know what I mean? Yeah. But there was like way more of a, like a legitimate excuse to plead the fifth. Yeah. So this was extremely frustrating for Kathy and her attorney, obviously, and they decided to settle outside of court. They settled the suit and that this happened after the civil trial, but they settled the suit outside of court um, with the men for an undisclosed amount that is still unknown to this day. Okay. Um, Kathy said of this, quote, I am very much at peace with this decision. I agonized over this and I put a lot of thought into it. And I thought about what would Robert want me to do. And nothing gave him more happiness than knowing that I was at peace, focusing on hope and optimism, end quote. Okay. And poor Kathy. The money yeah. that they did receive was split between the, the Wone estate and the law clinic at the University of Pennsylvania Law School, which was Robert's alma mater, and mm -hmm. with the goal of providing legal aid to inner city residents. 
So now I'll tell you about the criminal trial. And remember, it went civil lawsuit declared, then arrested for criminal for the criminal trial charges, Mm -hmm. the criminal charges. Then the criminal trial happened and then the lawsuit gets solved. So it's not I'm kind of telling it out of order, but just so that like the lawsuits wrapped up and then I'll talk about the criminal trial. So the criminal trial was set for June 2010. All three men pleaded not guilty and were released on bail. They were all subject to ankle monitors and curfews. The first thing to note of interest that they opted to forgo a jury trial and none of them testified on their own defenses. So you can say, like, I don't want a jury to decide. I want just a judge to, to decide my fate. And that's what they opted for. Okay. Between the three of them, they had six defense attorneys, all top guys in their field. Of course. Nothing. No expense. And why did they feel the need to have two lawyers each when they're so innocent? Well, I don't think it's crazy to have more than one lawyer, especially for like a big criminal trial. I think that's quite common, but it it just I think this is a very clear example of where money can buy you an acquittal. And I'm sorry to spoil that, but you know where this is going. This is unsolved. Um, like you, this is like the OJ trial or like, you know, if you have a lot of money, you can spend it, um, by getting whoever you want to testify on your behalf and take the, the, um, evidence in whatever, which way. And, you know, I think that if these guys had much less prominent and much less expensive, lawyers or just like less if they were giving them like all these extra tests and things that they did and you'll see some extra stuff that they really went through um this is it's money that that pays for all that right right so god help me if i ever get accused of anything i just you know if you you just want to have a lot of money it it helps yeah clearly helps a lot oj um so, so remember, none of them were on trial for murder. It was obstruction, conspiracy, and tampering with evidence. But regardless of the trial, the vibe to everyone involved and observing really was more of a murder trial. Yeah. Like. I mean, somebody did, did it. Like. Un, un, uh, unofficially. Right. So the defense team first came up and they claimed that the police did a super sloppy job and that their clients were unfairly targeted from the beginning because they were gay. Basically claiming that investigators had tunnel vision from the start. Their main rebuttal to the charges was still the intruder story. Um, The intruder theory, although I guess technically possible, was ridiculous. And I'll get to it a little bit in a little bit. But here are some things we learned at the trial. Okay. An extra neighbor who shared a wall with the home office that Robert was staying in testified that he heard a single, what he described as a desperate scream while he was watching the 11 o'clock news. That's so sad. So, but we know that the scream would have happened sometime between 11 and 11.30 p.m. because he was watching the 11 o'clock news. Authorities had always believed that the scream had come from Victor, who said that he screamed upon seeing Robert. This left a gap of 19 to 49 minutes from that scream, indicating Victor seeing Robert injured and possibly dead to the point that Victor called 911 at 1149, Mm -hmm. which 
that like, first of all, that just leaves a huge gap. 19 to 45 to 49 minutes. You should have called the police one minute later. Right. According to Victor on the 911 call, Joseph had instructed Victor, Victor to make the call from the phone on the third floor. So he sent him upstairs to make a phone call. There was a phone in the home office. So why that was necessary is super weird. Why did he send him upstairs? Especially because yeah. then the like 911 operator is trying to tell him how to help Robert. And he's like, on he can't do anything. Another thing to note timeline wise was there were two emails that Robert had made from his Blackberry that night that were used to establish a timeline by the defense. Okay. One was to his wife, Kathy, at 11.05 p.m., telling her that he had just showered and was about to go to bed. The second was two minutes later to a friend confirming lunch plans for the next day. The defense used this timeline to make the argument that the intruder broke in and did his thing and left in 42 minutes. Let us examine for a minute the theory of what would have been going on in these 42 minutes. So the defense puts forward the theory that the intruder just so happened to choose the one night that the door was accidentally left open. He scaled the back fence through. He, he walked through the alley, scaled this back fence, waltzed through the unlocked back door after hearing a chime, didn't take any valuables like the computer or the TV that were left out in the open. And they were right there on so, the main okay. floor. Instead, he grabbed a knife from the kitchen, walked up the what they found to be very creaky wooden stairs to the second floor silently walked past Dylan's room without waking him up, walked down the hall to the home office, violently murdered Robert by yeah, stabbing him in the, the chest, fuck? leaving no blood splatter, curiously enough, or much blood in general. Very curious. Turned around, left, without taking any of the valuables that were left out in plain sight, walked back past Dylan's room, back down the very creaky stairs, out the back door, where he again scaled the fence and then dipped out into the night. The intruder would have done all of this while leaving zero DNA evidence in the entire house. And all of this would have been accomplished in 42 minutes without waking up any of the three men. Remember, right. blood was also found in the back patio drain and the dryer. Although I we did not link this blood to Robert. Okay. So the, the prosecution noted that the BlackBerry messages were actually never sent. They were sitting in Robert's draft folder. They theorized that the emails could have been written by the perpetrator or perpetrators to Whoa, purposely okay. throw off the timeline. I always found it suspicious I mean, that that he'd be like, I just showered and I'm going to bed. Like, Yeah, that's like a weird email to send. I just like as a. But like, you did that and you fucked up so many other aspects of the crime scene. What do you mean? Just like the knife with blood wiped on it his body with blood wiped off of it oh you mean they said, like they they like put they put thought into that but then like made everything else so bad yes, i think they yes. put thought into everything else but like it was just bad thoughts like, yeah i guess so and we'll we can talk about it later at the end when we like theorize okay okay, okay yeah but um so the prosecution thinks that they did this like purposely to throw off the timeline. They think that the time between the attack and the 911 call was much closer to 72 minutes, like based okay. on like when they think that Robert um, came over and when the 911 yeah. call happened, which um, is way more suspicious if we're thinking the guys did it, is it allowed for a lot more time for the, 
for the perp to have murdered ro- murdered Robert, washed his body, placed him, et cetera, et cetera. Because especially if we're talking about like something that happened with like an electro ejaculation machine and blah blah blah, like something's going like that's a lot of shit to be doing. Right, takes some time to minutes. do all that. The prosecution theorized that at least one of the men had been involved, possibly two. It was their assertion that Joseph had been the ringleader of the whole thing and possibly held the other two with money or power of some kind. It seemed that Joseph had the most money. He owned the home. He was really the main linkage between the two other men and Robert and the two other men to each other. During the investigation, he was the one to talk to police, and it seemed like throughout the events of the night in question, he was the one directing the other two. And it was also true that he was the one who was closest to Robert and who had arranged Robert to stay over. Although it was Robert who went to Joseph asking him to stay over and he was the second, they were the second choice. So I'll just say that. The prosecution seemed to focus a lot on Joseph and Dylan as they were the ones whose sexual relationship focused heavily on the BDSM subdom type stuff that included the the electro ejaculation machine. Dylan's the dom, right? I don't know which one is which. Okay. I always got the feeling that Joseph was, but just because he seems like more dominant in real life, but maybe that means he's likes it more submissive elsewhere. Like, I don't know. Just because Dylan has all the equipment, right? I never saw it specified anywhere which one was which. Okay. Just that they had a relationship that was submissive dominant. dominant. I yeah. think Joseph seems more like a dominant person like in life. Right. But, but Dylan seems like he's a not. big fan of like... But oh, yeah, but, yeah. Dylan seems like so. That's why I think it's probably that Dylan was the dom, and because jo- I feel like some people like who have like really powerful lifestyles, yeah, like like to be the subs for sure. For sure, these type of scenarios, like for like switching it up purposes, and and yeah. Dylan's the one highlighting sadomasochistic, yeah, exactly stuff, right? <laughs> Not because it's forgot about that. BDSM is uh, bondage. No, what does it stand for? BDSM bondage. Uh huh. Something say don't. Here, I'll look it up. Yeah, look it up. I will I find out because I actually I, have no idea. Yeah, I don't remember. It's, uh, <laughs> hang on. Why is this kind of hard to find? Okay, bondage, domination, sadism, mac- masochism. masochism. So if you, I think it's if you, if you like other people being hurt, you're a sadist. And if you like being hurt, you're a masochist. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, I think so. So, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, fun, fun, fun. You know, whatever. I feel like we end up talking about BDSM a lot. Yeah, weirdly. But I guess. I guess it ties into a lot of I guess murders. people who like BDSM are usually involved in this type of thing. Usually, yeah. Pretty much always. <laughs> no, I'm 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 joking. I feel like if you I know, say I that you get like shat upon. Yeah, because you're kink shaming. Yeah, no, I'm I don't BDSM is a very consensual thing and it's usually really great and everyone loves it. It's great. Anyway. Yeah, okay. So yes. So okay, where was I? um blah blah blah. yes uh victor what did i say okay so the prosecution focused a lot on joseph and dylan as they were the ones whose sexual relationship focused heavily on bdsm um and i think this makes sense victor did seem like the most emotional about everything as 
And if we are to believe that this really was his scream, it's possible that Joseph and Dylan had attacked Robert and then Victor walked in upon hearing some sort of commotion only to see Robert. But then he participated in the cover up. I that guess. is one, one of many theories. Yeah. The prosecution did have a pretty rough go at things because the investigation had a bunch of pretty major fuck ups. Also, I think a lot of the time, like you have like, you know, your prosecutor or whatever person who like does all the prosecutions, I forget what they're called. Um, and then it's like going up against like six high powered attorneys and they just like don't stand a chance. Yeah. So I don't know if this was the situation, but this is like very similar. Like to, it's like, kind of like a, a state appointed person as opposed to somebody who really specializes in this. Yeah. And like usually the 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 state appointment, like the the prosecutors, like especially in like DC, like they should be they should have been pretty good. It's not like they would have been like um, you know, some randomsville, but it's like this is like like this is like a dream team. This is like an OJ trial. Yeah. Team, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um for sure. So Okay, first of all, a paramedic testified about trying to give Robert an IV on the night of the murder. She okay. said she attempted to put, so remember the needle marks? Yeah, there's, that were they're all over the fucking for? place. Yeah. So she said she attempted to place it in multiple locations before giving up. And she the reason that they didn't catch this is because she never documented it. But why on his feet? So the judge thought that this could account for some, but not all of the puncture wounds found on Robert's body. But like, here's the defense, like, accounting for some of them okay okay robert's blood was tested for drugs and alcohol as i said but not all drugs that could have rendered him paralyzed or unconscious real missed opportunity this like could not be more overstated how yeah come on like test everything the chemical used to locate blood splatter in the home office was apparently used incorrectly according to the manufacturer so that evidence was not taken into account the way it could have been Okay. Which was like a pretty major factor. The fact that there was blood splatter everywhere and the like, like, and um, it's clear that like there was a lot of blood that had been cleaned up. They couldn't use that. Yeah. Why didn't they use luminol? That's what I want to know. That's so annoying. Use luminol. Yeah. That's really annoying. Okay. Here's like, one clearly thing. there's a cover up happening here. Investigate it. And it's like, we, we see that there's a cover up, but we can't talk about it. Okay. This. Super fun electro ejaculation machine, which the prosecution yeah. is alleging was used on Robert, mm-hmm. was not forensically tested. Really? How in the world? How in the world? Why? Yeah, was there a reason that they didn't test it? No, I there's it's just what they didn't do it. Test that fucking weird thing. Robert's BlackBerry was supposed to be analyzed further, but instead it was sent back to his workplace and given to another employee and lost forever. Mm, it's haunted, but okay. Yeah, like the poor employee who had that. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. They want don't that. have it now because nobody has blackberries. But like, yeah. The biggest problem of all was that there were three viable suspects, and the high possibility that only one or two of them were involved in the murder was there, and it was impossible to prove who was or who wasn't. The judge ended up acquitting them. And made it clear in her ruling that she did not believe the intruder theory, which meant that she had to believe that the attack on Robert was done by someone in that house or by someone they knew. But unfortunately, she had to acquit all of the men because of reasonable doubt. Because the prosecution, she says, could not prove which of them were involved. 
The judge cited that there was too much reasonable doubt and she apologized for having to make the decision and made it clear that there was a difference between morally knowing somebody did something and proving it through evidence. That's cool that she would say that, but sad. Which is crazy. And I think they made a really good call on doing that because I think a jury would have, would have, uh, there's a high yeah. chance that a jury would have, um, would have charged them. What do the juries do? I don't know what the word is for it. Yeah. That a jury yeah. I think it makes sense. And I'm guilty. Right. And I think for them too, like they were kind of banking on the fact that like the judge is this one person who's kind of very um, objective, whereas the jury would be obviously well, like from different demographics and not necessarily and see I things think, the same way. I think with like lawyers, with really good lawyers, like there's all you're always risking it with a jury because you don't they're just regular people and you don't it's know their how opinion. they're going to take things yeah but with the judge you know like what they're looking the for. legal yeah you know what legal routes you can and things you right. can say and you can be really really technical with a judge whereas like yeah. you maybe want to stray away from that with a jury because they might not pay attention yeah um it's very different and the the lawyers like they were really intense and they like got so much stuff taken out and it's just like yeah it's just so clear where the money went and like searching for the paramedic who 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 did the iv and like you know if you really want to conspiracy theorize like maybe they like paid her to say that i don't know um yeah um but like you could just spend your time just like searching so far and wide for whatever little piece of evidence you need and like how did they know that the um, the chemical was used incorrectly according to the manufacturer like you they probably had all these like interns and other like yeah lower level for sure just searching into everything and like that's just resources right now yeah so after they were acquitted the men have since moved to florida like they had planned they live together in a family-like situation although some sources say that dylan no longer lives with the other two men so maybe that's more recent okay in the eyes of the law, they are all considered not guilty of this or any crime related to Robert Wone. But Damn. virtually nobody who's looked into this case considers them to be innocent. And Kathy they just get Wohn? to, like... Yeah, they're just living in Florida. Cool. Just living their lives. No wow. uh, no issues. Um, Kathy Wone made the decision to move on with her life and try to spend the rest of it doing good for others. This seems very in line with what Robert would have wanted and that is how he chose to live out his very short life. Yeah. This case seems like it may never be solved and continues to baffle people to this day. Not the actual case, I think, but just like that they can't link it to these guys. Yeah. Although one good thing is that since the men were never tried for murder, there's no issue of double, double jeopardy. So if, if new evidence is found and they decide to try them again, they can just do that. That'd be cool. So that's, I think, one like hopeful thing. Yeah. And now I think it's it's time we theorize on things. I'll start by saying I watched this one video. There's a guy. I think he's like a psychiatrist or psychologist, whatever. His name is Dr. Grande. And he does like all these like psychology and mental health videos on YouTube. Mm -hmm. He like analyzes like different cases and stuff. But he analyzes it from the mental health perspective. But and I'm sure a lot of people have put this for. I don't think this is like a, a very original idea, but. He basically said that there's essentially five possibilities here. All right, let's hear. One, unknown intruder. Basically, the theory that the men allege, the intruder theory. It's very unlikely. I don't think anyone believes it, but it is possible. Okay. 
Two, unknown perpetrator, one or more of the men hired or are covering up for somebody that did intrude, but that like maybe they hired or that they knew. Okay. Three, one or more men committed the murder. They all helped to clean it up and were accessories after the fact. Four, one or two men committed the murder and cleaned it up, and one or two men are completely innocent. Five, all are equally guilty. So I think number one is the defense theory, and number three to five are all within the prosecution's theory. And that's like what made it so that they couldn't prosecute us because they could not specify. They couldn't nail it down, yeah. Who was who, and they can't. And the judge even cited in her um, ending statement or whatever, like she stated, like it's, it's always better for, um, a hundred guilty men to go free than one innocent person be locked up. Right. And like, to, I Fuck. do have to say, I agree with that, but goddamn. Yeah, I know. I agree too. Like they don't, they don't really have like a concrete story of what happened to me, like, I, I think there's enough, like, beyond a reasonable doubt that, like, it's, I mean, I don't know. I think it's pretty suspicious. But. The thing is, like, you can say, like, you, oh, we found this blood outside. We found the blood in the dryer and all that stuff. But they can't say that it was Robert's blood. Yeah. So there's that. They, uh, I think, I personally think that it makes sense that, like, if someone is not involved, it's Victor. Right. Yeah. Dylan, I mean, I'm getting the vibes that he uh, had something to do with this. But even if he did, if he, even if he wasn't involved, like he's covering for everybody and he's an accessory after the fact. Like It's he didn't, so weird. Like, what was the motivation for the murder? That's what I think just like gets everyone. I have no idea because I don't know why they would have wanted. So I think a lot like of would people, he have found out something about them that they didn't want people to know? Well, but then that doesn't take into account. Oops, sorry. I'm moving my computer. The like electro ejaculation stuff, which seems like because it seems like in most cases or at least some cases, like it makes sense to like knock somebody out to then like electro ejaculate them. And like maybe they had something where they wanted to do that. But it's like, why would you do it to this poor guy unless he was kind of gay in secret, which like there's no evidence for. And a lot of people don't theorize about that. But it's like there's a lot of people who appear like they're not gay and like end up liking to like yeah that's possible a lot of people on reddit are like no for sure he was like undercover gay whatever <clears throat> there's nothing wrong with that but like why would he be murdered like what well i think the biggest suggestion is that they were doing some sort of sexual thing that oh and then he accidentally it. asphyxiated and truly died and then they just stabbed him to make it look like an intruder yes but then why is the blood behind the the patio? Because the, I think that the theory would, would be that they had blood all over themselves and they hosed them. They hosed each other oh. down over the drain right. and then dried their clothes in the dryer. Right. Then where was the site of the murder, though? It wouldn't have been the sofa bed or it would have. It would have because that's where all the blood splatter all over the room is. But then oh, there was. Up. OK, OK. Um. Why did they yeah. clean it up if they were trying to make it look like somebody went in and stabbed him? I don't understand that either. Unless they like. Yeah, I don't know why they would have done that. But I just have to think, too, that like if you because a lot of people theorize that they were on drugs when they did this, that it was some sort of like drug induced thing, because like Dylan was acting super weird. 
Robert was also acting pretty weird. They were both like really like zombied out kind of and like really quiet. So, right. So they're maybe on some type of drug. Yeah. And Victor was not. And there's like very well, Robert could have had some sort of drug, but they didn't find it. Right. And I guess it makes sense. Like if two, two, these two guys are on drugs, they probably like, don't want the paramedics to be able to tell. So they're just like, okay, bye. And just. Yes. And I think it makes sense that they made all these like really stupid decisions if they are on drugs and kill somebody. And it's like, what the fuck do we do? And it's like, yeah, I think a lot of people in these situations probably like do stuff like clean up all this blood when there should be blood there. And just like they just made a bad decision while they were high on drugs and in a really uh, like terrifying situation. Yeah. I could buy that. I think, I think Victor maybe was not involved. He didn't seem like he was involved in any of the BDSM type stuff. So it makes sense that he wasn't involved in all that. And like, he clearly doesn't care that Joseph is involved sexually with another person. So maybe either he's like literally just sleeping or he just like, you know, they're in an open relationship and doesn't care. Right. And then it makes sense that like he does, if if that scream was Victor, that he was like, oh my God. But then he clearly helped cover it up after. And regardless, was the only super emotional one, the only one maybe not on drugs. And like, it seems like his, his emotions did seem to be genuine. Right. At least a little, but yeah. it did seem like in the 911 call, like every, everything was like, we said, we found him, we did this, we, it's a burglar came in and it's like, that is way too planned out to have just happened right now. Yeah. What the fuck? That's so, I don't know what happened. Like, I have no idea. No. I mean, I, I definitely think the men are guilty. I just don't understand why. Yeah. And then there's always that wild card of like Michael Price, like maybe Michael Price came in to burglarize and but like, why would he stab? Like, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, because he didn't take anything that time. So why just, would he stab him? Like, if you're going to stab him, at least take something, you know? And clearly, based on the Emmy report, the stabs seemed like they happened while he was incapacitated. Like, what they're right. s- alleging right. is that, like, it was not a random event. Like, the stabs would have been, That's like, true. the, uh, just at the end for, um, for, a cover-up but it seems like you, you know you have all these uh needle marks like that seems like that's which makes it seem like it was not a consensual thing to start with it was like okay like but it's like why like he's coming over to sleep over he's your friend you went to his wedding like you must actually like the guy yeah he was like, his birthday he happened to come and sleep over one night he was the one who said he wanted to sleep over right and then but also the commute thing is weird too, right? Like you wouldn't need to necessarily sleep over to avoid a 30 minute commute. But it's like, if that one girl said yes, then he would have just left at her house. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's just a lot of it is very, it's hard to make sense of in any way. Especially, especially because like you seem to have all this like DNA evidence, but it's not none of it is like solid DNA evidence. Like, you know that he has his own semen on and inside of him, but you don't know that it's on the electroejaculation machine. You have all right. this blood that you don't know is Robert's blood. Um, then there's the, the weird knife thing. Like there was like the knife that they made it look like he was stabbed. Why did they use a different knife than the one that? He was yeah. I mean, they were, probably the weren't. Point of that? Yeah. They were probably just like, 
oh, fuck it. Like, that's the thing when people stage crime scenes, it's like, do you not think that there's going to be like DNA evidence left behind when you wipe something off? Or like, do you not think professionals who do this for a living are going to like look further yeah. into this? Like, it's not yeah. just some Joe Blow off the street coming in and being like, oh, yeah, like a bloody knife. People that's always do that. I mean, you would think if, if they actually did it and they were actually good at covering it up, they would like hide his body. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I just I don't know. I don't know what like I don't know what I would do. It's like you guys fucking killed him. Like sorry. But yeah, it's it's like one of one of DC's most famous cases. It's unsolved and it's like really weird. There's this website yeah. called Who Murdered Robert Wohn. Okay. Um, if anyone's interested, there's these four guys who I think, I don't know if they're lawyers or what they're into, but they're just like super into the case and they've like documented everything very intensely. Um, and they're, they're, they're coming at it from like, they're like, we don't know if these guys are guilty or innocent. We're just, this is all the information. And like, we want to know what happened. So we're trying to like compile everything and, and figure it out. Right. Um, and they're, they're oh fuck i feel like my mic was i feel like i was not talking well into the mic i think it sounds fine did it sound okay well hopefully hopefully it was okay um but their website is really interesting i don't find it the most the most user-friendly site but um it's it's got all the information Wow, that is fucked. It is really frustrating when it's an unsolved case. It's frustrating, but it is a fascinating case. And there's like a lot yeah. of there's a lot of ways to go. And like obviously there's a lot on Reddit too. You can um look into I have not seen that yet, but I will. Yeah. Go down that rabbit hole. And if anybody has any um theories about what they think happened, I'm super interested to hear if it's like different from ours. Yeah. On Reddit, people think that the roommates did it, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. But it's it's more. I think everybody thinks that the roommates did it, but it's like yeah. who did it specifically and why and why. Yeah, and the why is very like it's it's elusive. Yeah, and like just to such like an innocent, nice guy too. Like, yeah, that's, that's really the really sad. sad part. Is like he was just like such a like nice guy who just wanted to right. be who wanted to do good in the world, and he just got murdered in the most like horrible way and like defiled and like now it's like his wife has to deal with like people being like he found semen in his anal cavity like and like yeah that's saying it but it's just like dude really like it's horrible yeah because it it really doesn't seem like he was involved in any type of illicit activity there is just zero evidence to support that. There's yeah. been nobody has come out of the woodwork saying, oh, yeah, him and I were in a gay relationship. Nothing. Um, so and again, I think it's always possible. Like there's a lot of people who seem super straight and like they end up just like and it could yeah. have been that like he just like one day thought maybe I'll be like they were like, hey, Robert, like just try. Let's come try this stuff out. And like he was like enticed by it. I don't know. Maybe. It, yeah, maybe. But if but there's no history there's, of that. No history, no evidence to support that. Yeah. Wow. So, and you can really only go off evidence. You can't just be making shit up. Yeah, it's true. So would love to hear more theories on this case. And that's that's it. That's it. Yeah. That's all she wrote. 
hopefully I would really hope that one day in the future, we're able to make a follow-up and say that it's been solved and that people are behind bars for this crime. But right. until that day, we will, we'll just be left to speculate. Yeah. So please. Oh yeah. Tell me how you rate this. Um, like five, maybe. Yeah. It's not, it's, it's, I think unsolved murders are scarier because it's, it's like somebody's yeah. out there, but it's just not something I'd be involved in. And right. I don't know. It's just not, not, not that frightening, but it is fucked. It's crazy. It is. Yeah. I mean, I think it's frightening. Like it's, it's scary that like, I mean, just the event, like that's terrifying. Yeah. So reach out to us on Instagram at his knocking podcast on Twitter at his knocking pod. Email us hello at who's knocking podcast.com and please just stay safe out there because you never know who's knocking. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Lost Line Media. Artwork by August Digital. Music by Matthew Cook.